Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. How many middle schoolers do I have here tonight? In the middle school class, how many? How many are here? Okay. Are you embarrassed to be in middle school? No? I ask how many middle schoolers, and she goes... Okay, well, all right. If you've been in middle school class with the Olsons teaching the class, how many times have you heard them say, him say, we're going to have math and science? I hear he says that all the time. Well, guess what? We're going to have math and science tonight. So just get ready for it. We're going to have math and science. Now, if you didn't like math and science in school, then maybe this lesson will convince you that it's a good thing because the Bible is full of the concept of math and science. We're going to use that here in just a minute. Now, this morning we talked about the need to discipline children, and that's what Loving them is really all about if you don't love them. If you don't discipline them, that is, you can say you love them all day long, but you really don't. And that's what we talked about. The theme for today is discipline. And one might be wondering, well, what does the disciplining of children have to do with being a disciple of Jesus? Disciples are disciplined people. You can't be a disciple if you're not a disciplined person. And so it is important to understand the concept of discipline and what is going on in that. And that's why it's important with the topic this morning because if children don't start out learning to be disciplined, it's a whole lot more difficult to teach discipline the older they get. And if a person is undisciplined his whole life until he's old, it's tough to be disciplined. So we began that way to show the importance of training our children to understand and appreciate discipline so when we get to be older, when God wants us to be disciplined in His way, It won't be as difficult to handle. So you might be asking about math and science. Well, here it is. The Greek word for discipleship or disciple is mathetes. It is the word that gives us our word math. Math, mathetes. So I looked up the actual definition of math. What is it? This is what I found. Math is the science of the logic of shape, quantity, and arrangement. So I want you to notice tonight the logic of God's math class. For those of us who are or want to be disciples of Jesus. Let's go 
into God's math class and learn about discipline. Let us begin with the shape of discipline. Look at Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse number 18. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus in his final assembly with his apostles said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. In those final words that Jesus gave to his disciples, he gave us the shape of discipline. The word disciple and the word discipline all come, both come from the same root word. So by definition, you can't be a disciple without being disciplined. So what is the shape of discipline? The shape of a disciple. Well, number one, a disciple is one who is subservient to, not superior to the one he or she is following. We use the term follower to describe a disciple. And that's a learner, one who is taught. That's what's going on in discipleship. And so the, the shape of discipleship says, if you are following, then you are subservient, not superior. I can't decide for myself what the shape of discipleship is. I am subservient to the one I am following. And that's what's going on. That's what Jesus says. I want you to know as I'm leaving for this final time, all authority is mine. And I'm telling you, so you be subservient and I am superior. Go and make disciples. Disciples are made, not born. No one is born into this world a learned individual. Nobody. Every person physically, every baby learns. Therefore, discipleship is about what am I learning? What am I coming to know? And Jesus said, you have to go make them. Spiritually speaking, they've not been born into this thing yet. You have to go make them as disciples of mine. And third, the shape of discipleship is it begins in a point of time, but it continues throughout the process of time. Go and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them. Now, there is some discussion. I heard about it recently with my buddy, my friend, who is in a discussion with a a fellow Christian who says, we've always taught this passage wrong. And he says that what I'm about to tell you is not right. So I'm just telling you what he thinks is not right, though I think it is. Here's what I think it's saying. There's a point in time when you begin to be a disciple. It's the point when you choose to say, I want to be a learner. I want to be a follower. It begins somewhere. And Jesus says it begins with the identifying mark that tells everybody, here is how everybody can know that you are a disciple when you are baptized into Jesus. That's the beginning point. Now, I admit when a person decides to to listen, that's the beginning of learning and, and, and repenting, believing in Jesus. I admit all of that. But what is the mark at which someone is identified not only by God but by everybody else? It's the moment when they are immersed into Jesus Christ and come out and start that new life of discipleship. But then he continues, baptizing them and teaching them all things that I have commanded you. Now, the one fellow who believes it's not a part of a lifetime of teaching, but rather he's referring to the teaching that causes you to want to be baptized. He believes that it's only the teaching about how to become a Christian involved in that passage. I don't happen to agree with him. I think that he's saying, Jesus is, there's a point where discipleship begins, but then there's a process where discipleship continues as we teach and are teaching or learning all things that Jesus taught, including how to become a disciple, and including the admonition to continue teaching discipleship. I think that's what's going on here. So now you have seen, this is what Jesus says, is the shape of discipleship. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is a passage that likely you have looked at many times and thought about many times. You've heard it discussed many times. And in this case, we're going to to find out this idea about discipleship that the Hebrews writer wants us to understand. Okay? So, well... It almost worked. It almost worked. That's still not as big a pop as the other one, so we're still good. I want you to look in the text for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, the text is verses 3 through 11. Now, what you're going to find here is the quantity. We've seen the shape of discipleship and therefore discipline. Now the quantity. In other words, 
How much discipline do you have? Here's a way to test it. This is what the Hebrews writer says. First of all, verse 5. Do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged. If I am a disciplined disciple, I will not be easily discouraged by things that happen. These people obviously were going through some very tough stuff. Verse 3, they were potentially going to be killed. And he says, if you are a disciplined person, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you're not going to be discouraged easily. When things happen that are difficult and you don't like them, you're not going to fall away. He also says that because of the concept of this disciplining, keeping you from being discouraged, he also talks about not being despised. If I am a disciplined person, if I am a disciplined disciple, then I won't despise when these things happen. Some people get discouraged and they faint and they, but others hate it. Others get a bad attitude and their minds become corrupted because they are despising what they have to go through. And that's very, very difficult to do. It's tough to go through the stuff. But if I have enough discipline, then I'm not going to despise whatever happens to me as a disciple of Jesus. But a third thing he says in this context is that if I have enough discipline and if God is disciplining me, which is what this text really is discussing, then it will call to mind the deal that I have made. Look at verse 7. God deals with you as with sons. At the point in time that I became a Christian, I made a deal with God. It's my deal. You made a deal and you said, I'm going to be your disciple. And I'm going to let you train me. I'm going to let you discipline me. I'm going to be the person you want me to be. And every time we go through this process that God uses to discipline, it should remind us of the deal we have made. The quantity of our discipline, the quantity within our discipleship will determine whether or not I'm going to be discouraged, whether I'm going to despise what I'm going through, or if I'm going to be reminded of the deal or not. Now we've seen the shape and the quantity. Now we see the arrangement. 
the arrangement of God's discipline. The arrangement of the process, the ongoing process of my discipleship. That's what this entire text is about. And I want you to notice with me the things that happen in this text to help us arrange our lives to be disciplined by God. First, I believe it is about five times in this text, verses 3 through 11, that the word chastening is used. This is God's deal. This is God's discipline. The word chasten is the word that we're talking about, which is discipline. Five times. So the writer is saying, all right, God is disciplining you. You need to be aware of this. Now go back to verse 3 and notice what's happening. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Jesus, of course, experienced all of those things. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. These people somehow were going through such a fight that the writer had to remind them, you haven't shed blood yet. It's much more serious than this idea, but how many times, especially in a sporting thing, maybe with your kids, and they're playing something, and they're playing a game, and all of a sudden one of them gets hurt, and you go, are you bleeding? No. All right, no blood, no foul. That's sort of how it works, right? I've used that many times. Is that what he's saying? No blood, no foul. Right now, you haven't shed any blood. It doesn't mean it's not coming, but you haven't yet. And since you haven't yet, you're in the process of God's discipline and of God's discipleship. So notice the arrangement. Here it is. One, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. God's discipline is arranged in our lives through our striving. That word is the word we get our word, agony. You go through agony. He says in this text, you are striving against sin. Yeah, I'm sure they were striving against sin in their personal lives. But he might be saying, you're striving against the devil who is working through other people trying to cause you to sin by the difficulties he's bringing on you. You're fighting. You're striving against sin. Are you fighting sin? Are you in agony trying to overcome sin? You feel it? Jesus said in Luke 
13. Strive to enter the narrow gate. The gate to heaven is defined by Jesus as a tight squeeze. In other words, if you don't go through the squeezing process, you're not going to go through that gate. Because God has arranged things such that we must go through the striving process. We must go through the agony, I think, of pushing ourselves to be what God wants us to be. Number two, in verse five, do not be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. This is a word that says to me that part of the arrangement of God's disciplining us is that we need at times to be pushed by our brethren. I need to strive against sin myself, and so I'm pushing myself. But sometimes I need others to push me. We all need to be pushed by our brethren in a proper way. This idea is rebuking. There's a word that I like a little better. Maybe it's because it's softer. I don't know. But most people don't want to be rebuked. But Ephesians 5 verses 11 through 13 use a different word for this same word. When it says, do not follow after darkness, the deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And verse 13 also uses that same concept, expose. In other words, bring to the light. You remember, of course, when John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, do you want to walk in darkness? Do you want to be a person walking in darkness? I don't. I might do it. There are times when I do it. There are times when you do it, but you don't really want to, do you? Maybe a part of God's arrangement for our discipline is providing people who will be in our lives to expose to our own minds what we're not seeing about ourselves. So I push myself. And I let others push me. Verse 6. The Lord scourges every son whom he receives. Disciples are under the arrangement of God that we have to face the consequences of the failures in our lives. 
Scourging has been a part of the history of mankind, I guess, since the beginning of time to some degree. Formal whipping, formal beating, likely because of the concept we used this morning from Proverbs 13 and 24, not to hold back the rod. We need to face the consequences. When there were in the early years of the development of this country public floggings, in many places of the world it is still being used today. Facing the consequences. I think that's what he's saying here. God scourges every son whom he accepts. There is a consequence when we are not continuing the path of discipleship. Now, don't ask me because I don't have the answer. Go ask Mark. Go ask Jack. Don't ask me. I don't know exactly how God scourges. I don't know. I really don't. There's some interesting things in Scripture. You remember when... uh, Joseph was fighting with that angel from God, and the angel touched him in the hip, and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. Hmm, was that a scourging from God? I don't know. But I know that I have to face the consequences, which is why he said, make sure you understand that in my arrangement... And things that I have drawn up. And what I want you to do. You have to face the consequences. Number four. We have to feel the weight. He talks about we had human fathers that corrected us. Verse 9, we showed them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? They indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now notice, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Not only do I have to face the consequences, I need to feel the consequences. I failed to mention this morning when I told you about David, who the Bible says about his son Adonijah, he did not rebuke him ever. The actual Hebrew word was David did not pain him now I don't know I'm not advocating one type of discipline over another for children but I am advocating the fact that if they don't feel the pain they're not going to be disciplined it's not going to happen and in my discipleship my learning to be disciplined before God sometimes I have to feel the pain I really do and you do too And it's not easy. 
And yet Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, it is godly sorrow that produces repentance. And I need to feel the pain in order to be a disciplined person. So the arrangement of God for me to be a disciplined person, I have to push myself. I need to be pushed by others. I need to face the consequences when I get off the path. And I need to feel the pain to put me back on the path. But the final piece at the end of verse 11, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The final arrangement or the process, the entire thing really, to describe what is the arrangement of God to make me a disciplined person. Let's put it this way. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, disciplined by him, I have to be constantly in God's gymnasium. Because that's this word. This word train is the word gumnas. It's our word gym. Go to the gym. Go to the workout. You see the deal I made when I became a disciple that sometimes I forget? I made the deal that said, God, I'll live in your gym. I will live in the process of what you have for me. And I'm going to stay there. The Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer, had that same thing in mind, the end of it all. Listen to Hebrews chapter 5. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Two verses earlier he had said, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you I think he was saying this, putting both of these texts together. Get in God's gymnasium so that you can be a person who can teach yourself and stand on your own, not always having to be propped up by someone else. You can't teach yourself. You always have to have somebody teach you. And that only happens in God's gym with God's discipline. So tonight, we've learned the math class of God in the gymnasium of God. The shape, the quantity, and the arrangement of his discipline.
the truth is, being here tonight is a form of being a disciplined person. You could have been any number of places doing any number of things, but you chose the discipline of being here. And while here now or any other time, there's a discipline of being involved mentally, physically, not planning the week's work, not figuring out your budget, not surfing the internet, but rather engaged in every way. It's all a part of the discipline, which is what I said this morning as a church. We provide for children classes, service opportunities, and gathering together to learn to be controlled individuals. All of us are in God's gym, and it will redound to our benefit and to his glory. Disciples are disciplined. If you need help, that's a given. We all need help being disciplined. But if you want to tell our shepherds about it, tell this church and get their help, tonight would be a great time to let them know as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.